0: 15. It's hard to believe. We're over halfway through Amos. Did anyone know that? I don't know. Maybe. Um, but yeah, we're over halfway through Amos, so awesome. Let's go ahead and go with verse 18. 5, verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord! Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into his house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it. I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, to the melody of your harps I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring me to me sacrifices and offerings during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sikath, your king, and Kion, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So we're continuing on through Amos, um, and again, we see a lot of judgment. We see a lot of not only judgment, but we see a lot of unfaithfulness from the people, which ultimately brings about judgment. And we're going to keep on continuing to see it. Um, And so what we'll do first is, let's go ahead and read some of this. We'll read 18 through 20. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into his house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? All right, and we're going to bring up our map real quick. And we're talking about Israel here. Judah right now isn't quite in the picture. Um, There'll be a problem later. But we notice in the verses, Amos says that beyond Damascus, they'll go into exile. Damascus is all, all the way up here. The nation beyond that is Assyria. And Assyria comes on down and then they get taken over by Assyria shortly after these prophecies are pronounced, within 20 or 30 years. Um, and so it's something that we want to consider when Amos says that, the people know exactly who they're talking about, who Amos is talking about when he says beyond Damascus. And we'll see that again in the sermon. So as we continue chapter 5 of Amos, uh, we continue with a woe oracle. Woe oracles include judgments against a particular group whom the woe is directed toward. Who is it that the woe is directed toward in these verses? And it's those who desire the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord motif is often found within the prophets. It is considered a day of conquest when God would win the wars against him and therefore against his people in just one day. Thus the people hope for the day of the Lord because it would mean that God would intervene on their behalf against their enemies. Yet Amos asks, why should they desire the day of the Lord to come? And almost, what right do you have to rejoice at the coming of the day of the Lord? For indeed, it is not a time of light, but of darkness. Thus, the people of God are, in fact, God's enemies, the ones whom God will come against. We see this spelled out further in verse 19. The day of the Lord will be like a man who runs from a lion, to run into a bear, just to escape the bear and return home, thinking that he was finally safe. Then, when he puts his hand against the wall, a serpent bites his hand. This is what the day of the Lord will be like. They think that they have security in God, in their house. But in truth, it is there that they will experience judgment. Though they think that they may escape judgment or disaster, the truth is that they will experience it, though they thought that they were safe. Amos speaks it clearly in verse 20. The day of the Lord, which they thought would bring light, which they thought would bring salvation, will in the end bring darkness. They will experience this darkness, the gloom of the darkness. Ultimately, this darkness brings misery, distress, and even death. And then we continue, verse 21. I hate... Now, Amos speaks of the religious failures and the injustice found within Israel. In fact, God even hates and despises their feasts and their solemn assemblies. The feasts represent the normal worship, the Sabbaths, the new moons, whereas the assemblies represents the three main pilgrimage celebrations of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. Yet these things which are meant to worship God, he rejects. Yet it does not end with these elements of worship, for their sacrifices are rejected by God. The triad of burnt offerings, grain offerings, and peace offerings, God rejects. He will not accept them from these people. What else is there for God to reject in their worship besides their feasts and their sacrifices? Well, their praise, their songs. God will not listen to them sing their songs or listen to them play their instruments. All elements of worship are rejected by God in these few verses. So what is it that the Lord requires? If God rejects these worship elements, what can the people offer? They can offer justice and righteousness. The people were using these religious practices as a means to cover up what God could easily see. And that is their corruption. Their entire society was broken and in sin. They were not seeking justice or righteousness in their lives in general. Yet this is exactly what God requires and desires. To roll down like the waters, an ever-flowing stream. The language here represents a stream which provides water during the time, certain times of the year, but dries up during the warm seasons. Yet God is saying he does not want them to dry up at all. He wants a continued perseverance in justice and righteousness individually and corporately. Now we come to the last few verses of this chapter. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Succoth, your king, and Kion, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Amos now reminds the Israelites of their past, specifically reminiscing on their time during the Exodus wanderings. During that time, the sacrificial system had been scarce, not because the Israelites were being negligent, but because much of the sacrifices established in the law were to be done once the Israelites inhabited the land which was promised to them. And we see this in Exodus thirty-four twenty-three through twenty-four, in Numbers fifteen two, and in Numbers nineteen twenty-four through twenty-seven, all of which reflect the idea of once you've come into the land, you'll do this. Thus the answer is, sacrifices were not the main focus during the wandering time. But that does not mean that there was not a closeness with God. They relied on God throughout the wanderings in order to provide for them. Water, manna. So it, was, so it is that they don't understand that a lack of sacrifice is not the problem. The problem is their covenantal unfaithfulness. This is seen by their rejection of the covenant by idol worship, which is forbidden. In particular, the idols' worship were of Siketh and Kion, and they were pagan astral deities. Yet what makes it such a miserable failing on their part is that these idols are created by their own hands. This is a common critique from the prophets against idolatry. How can they worship that which they had made? It would be like one making a walking stick, and then making sacrifices to it, or revering it as a god. And beyond Damascus, this would bring to mind one nation in particular that the Israelites knew to fear, and that was the Assyrians, who were beyond Syria, beyond Damascus. As such, this prophetic statement from the Lord, it came true within 30 years as Assyria was used by God to bring judgment to fruition. For it was Assyria, the nation beyond Damascus, who defeated and exiled the northern nation of Israel in 722 AD. So this leads us to the main point. The main point of these verses are to pronounce a woe oracle against the Israelites. This oracle is produced because of their covenantal unfaithfulness. Because of this, God rejects their sacrifices. He rejects all forms of their worship to Him. If they would remember their past, they would know of the closeness which comes from being faithful in all areas of their lives to God. But they have rejected this, and because of their rejection, they will be rejected by God. Ultimately to be exiled from the land God had given to them. Now this leads us to a few application points. Warning of the day of the Lord. The first application we might want to look at is the day of the Lord motif we saw earlier in today's text. We notice Amos informs the Israelites that they should be fearing the day of the Lord rather than longing for it. The reason for this warning is because the people themselves were going to be judged when the day of the Lord occurs. This is the interesting thing about the people of Israel at the time. They were people who thought that they were protected by God, and yet they weren't. There are many examples of this kind of thought process that they are facing. Tell me, can any of you remember being at work and thinking that you've done a great job at it just to have your boss or supervisor come and say, you didn't do so well? (laughs) How many of you have ever done that? I know, I have. Or how many of you can remember going to school and thinking, oh yeah, I aced this test, I, I got an A on it. And then when your teacher returns the test, you did not get an A at all. In fact, you did horribly. Or perhaps um, consider it from the perspective of a spouse. How many of you thought you were doing your spouse a favor only to find your spouse saying, Why did you do that? I can neither confirm nor deny that this has happened to me with the dishes or groceries or the time I gave Benny eggs with cheese and I wasn't supposed to give him cheese. I, I'm not going to go off on the list. You can talk to Carissa. So the point is, we've all been in a situation when we think we're doing a good job only to find that the job wasn't as good as we thought. We thought by taking care of a plant, for example, we could help it live only to find that it dies a day or two later after we began helping it. This is the mentality that the Israelites found themselves in during the time of Amos. They believed that what they were doing was the right thing. They believed that all was well. They had the belief that they were honoring God in their religious practices. Then come the prophets. Then comes Amos who says, No, you're failing in all of your worship practices because God requires full faithfulness, not just sacrifices. They had an assumption that by making sacrifices they could continue to live however they wanted to. In this way, they could keep living a lifestyle of sin because they could just sacrifice for what they did sin against. As such, such a lifestyle, such a way of thinking is foreign to what God had wanted of them. They were not loving God because everything they did went against Him and the covenant that He made with them and that they themselves accepted. I think that if we consider it There's a great amount of application there. There's a warning for us today that God desires of us the same that he desired of them. He wanted them to give themselves over to him in all ways, not some. And this is no less than what he desires of us. That is also something that we should be wary of. There are many, many in the world, especially in the United States, who believe that they are right with God. They were at one time encouraged to pray a prayer. They did so and now they believe that they are right with God because of that one moment despite the fact that their lives are foreign from God. We don't need to look very far for such individuals. We ourselves may have been them at one time. We may still very well be them now. As such, we need to be careful to test ourselves and to make sure that we are in the faith lest we, like ancient Israel presumed to be right with God, desiring for the day of the Lord to come, only to find out that we are among those whom the Lord will judge on his day. So this is a warning for us concerning the day of the Lord. For those who belong to God, it will be a day of light, because God himself will judge the nations and will rejoice at his judgments. However, for many, the day of the Lord will not be a day of light, but utter darkness when his judgment comes. As such, we need to be testing ourselves to make sure that on that day, we will not be caught unawares. We do not need to do this by making sacrifices. We do not need to do this by seeking the next supposed prophetic statement as to when Jesus will come again. Instead, the scriptures tell us one thing. And that is to prepare ourselves by being faithful. That is, we are to be responsible with our freedoms. Faithful to the God who gave us our freedom to begin with. The freedom that comes from being alive, being made in the image of God. Taking our freedom of will, whatever freedom we do have, and seeking to bind it to the altogether pleasing and perfect will of our God. So the warning is there. The day of the Lord is coming. We have a responsibility if we are saved to warn others of the day of the Lord. We have a responsibility as humans to seek what can save us when the day of the Lord comes. We have a responsibility to seek salvation from the day of the Lord. And that salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So use your freedom responsibly. Check yourselves against the scripture. Check to make sure you are within the faith. Prepare yourself for the day of the Lord by seeking faithfulness to God in all things. Giving all of yourself over to Christ in faith. Now the second thing to consider from this passage in Amos is this continued call to justice. Justice has been and will continue to be a major theme within Amos. This includes social justice as well as righteous living, living justly. As it is, the ancient Israelites were not living righteously. and said they were continuing to live in a way which was altogether unrighteous and unjust. They were not caring for the poor. They allowed their court system to become corrupt. And the rich continued to break the backs of the poor, never allowing them to rise up. As such, we need to, again, not be like the ancient Israelites when it comes to our own society. That is the wonderful thing about the prophets, in case you weren't quite aware of it. They always provide us a glimpse of a society in distress. They provide us with a society at large which is altogether unrighteous and wrong. Thus, they always provide us with the perfect, let's not do that thought. They always teach us what it means to follow God by giving us examples of how not to follow him. Likewise, they also give us a way of checking ourselves. Because if we are acting like those of old, then we can be sure that we are not in the light. When we consider it, the majority of our society lives in a way which is unrighteous as defined by the prophets. Many of the poor are trampled on by the rich, and many judicial systems are corrupt. How is it that we respond to such injustice in the world? How should Christians respond to corruption? Do we just follow suit and do the same? No. Instead, Christians should be the ones who rise above the corruption in the society by not being corrupt. We should be seeking to raise up lawyers and judges who will maintain justice rather than trample it out. We should be raising up business owners who understand Christian worldview and treat their employees as fellow human beings rather than as commodities or numbers. Not too long ago, I thought of a very practical way, however, that we all can be involved with justice. And that is a way which we all too often ignore. Consider the call to jury duty. In the U.S., we have a right to fair trials among our peers. What better way for the average Christian who isn't a lawyer or a judge to be actively involved with the justice system than by being willing to be on a jury? Who are willing to look at the whole perspective and shine a light, perhaps, on situations such as those? We are to be the examples to the world. In social justice, we should be at the forefront with the gospel of Christ in hand. When it comes to justice in the broader society, we should be the ones who are first to fight on the side of justice. It is not only for judges and lawyers. It's not only for those who are business owners. It is all of our responsibility, individually and corporately, to seek out justice. What is our motivation for seeking justice? The answer is not only for our fellow humans. While our fellow humans are certainly a main focal point for us to seek out justice, our main reason for seeking justice is for the glory of God. Our God is a just God. He is a God who calls us into righteousness, not only to receive righteousness through his Son, but also to partake of it in our lives. As a people, we must be ones who let justice flow. To stand against darkness, against unrighteousness, for the glory of God. This world may be a dry desert, but when we seek righteousness, justice, and goodness, we can be sure that we are being used by God to provide water, relief, to this world which desires justice, but has no reason for it, nor can do it on its own. We, however, we have a reason. And though we can't do it on our own, we can do it because of God. We have an explanation, and it is our God. An application is then seen because of it. So let the God of justice and righteousness reign in your life. And let righteousness pour out of you. And let it pour out of us. And onto this world where injustice is far too often seen. Now, in all of these things, we do consider the gospel, and we can see it clearly. The gospel of Jesus, which speaks to us here in the book of Amos. We see how Amos, this prophet of old, reminds us of the justice of God. And the greatest example of justice is found in the gospel. It is because of the gospel that when the day of the Lord comes, those who have faith in Christ will find it a day of great light. Rather than darkness. This gospel of righteousness. Of justice. And love. Still the gospel has a beginning. That beginning is God himself. He was before all else. He is the creator of all things. And humanity is the pinnacle. Of his creation as he made us in his own image. And because God is a God of love. Reason. Personhood. Knows. Can be known. Can show Hesed, We can as well. It is here we find all human worth, all human dignity, by which the doctrine of the sanctity of human life can be upheld. Yet God is also able to choose, and because of this, so are we. We were given the choice to follow God in obedience into life, or follow sin and disobedience and death. In the end, we chose the latter. We chose to sin and die, and we have made that choice ever since. Because of this, our relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and the world, they're all broken. And because of our sin, we accrue a greater moral guilt before our God every day. Not a feeling of guilt, but true guilt before a righteous judge. God could have left us in this silence and darkness of our death forever. Instead, He spoke a great word to us and sent a great light to illuminate the darkness. This word and this light was His own Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and rose again in time, space, history, and flesh. It is through His life, death, and resurrection, that we are healed of our wounds. It is by Him we are justified before God. We can never be perfect in this life except in this, and that is in our justification before God, because it is perfected, not by our own hands or our own means, but through Jesus Christ and His blood, and He is perfect. All of our debts are erased And we can now have victory through the Spirit over sin in our lives. All that is required of us is obedience in two things. The first is repentance. We are to turn away from sin and turn toward God. This means we are to live lifestyles which are congruent to God. We are not to live any way we desire. Thinking, because I'm in Christ, I'm okay. But live according to the will of God, walking in step with the Spirit, according to the Scriptures, both individually and corporately, in love. The second is faith in Christ. We are to recognize our own dependence upon the Son of God, that it is His righteousness which makes us clean. We are not justified, made right with God by anything our hands can accomplish. Instead, we must fall on the grace of our God through faith in Christ alone for our salvation. For those who remain disobedient, there is only judgment. None can boast righteousness which can grasp the glory of God. All sin is worthy of judgment, and we are all sinners of a great degree. To stand before God with only our own efforts in hand is to go realizing that we are standing before a completely and wholly righteous judge with stains on all of our good deeds. Because of this, if we stand before God without Christ, we only stand in condemnation. Yet for those who are obedient, there is no longer judgment, nor is there condemnation, but life. We have peace with God forever. We become co-heirs of an eternal kingdom where we will reign with our God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit forever. And it is because of God... Because of his redemption and his great love for us, that it has made possible. As we continue through the book of Amos, let us remember justice. Let us remember that we are called to righteousness. To be a light to the nations through living for our God. God calls us to remain obedient in faithfulness to him. So let us seek faithfulness in all things, giving all of ourselves over to the will of God which is perfect and pleasing in all ways. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, because it is through him that we see righteousness, the perfect righteousness, which saves us from our sins. And Lord, though this world may be fallen and though it may be dark, let us never forget that the light of Jesus Christ is far greater than the darkness which we see around us. And that the justice of God, your justice, is greater than the injustice. But let us be the light to the nations. Help us to maintain your justice here in this world for your glory because you are worthy of it again we thank you lord in the name of your son we pray amen please rise as we sing.